Hymn number eight, Brother Eddie has asked that we mark that as a song of encouragement. And certainly upon doing so, might I direct your attention to a man who lived too long. As you perhaps perused the bulletin and noted that that was the title of the lesson this morning, perhaps you were in wonderment about what that meant, to whom it may have referred, what was the circumstances and situations surrounding it, and what could possibly be said. Furthermore, about a gentleman, a man, who lived too long. I would submit that as we proceed to study a bit about that reading that Brother John read for us and to us a moment ago, that we'll have the occasion to perhaps reflect rather interestingly, not only upon his life, but upon my life and yours as well, a man that lived too long. Let's begin our lesson this morning, if we might, by simply trying to place in context most of what we can appreciate relative to the world in which we live and certainly our viewpoint. Isn't it true, of course, that life is presented to us in the sacred scriptures as being a brief time? Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, to quote Job 14.1. And can we not notice in Psalm 39.5 the extended discussion there of where the human lifespan is compared to a hand breath? Later, perhaps, wasn't it James who would extend that thought and describe it in words like this? For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We are well aware that life, even at its best, is brief. So in what way might it be thought, or in what way might it be said, that someone actually lived too long? I would hope that this morning, as we look at the certainty of life, the character of the certainty of the death that relates to it, in Hebrews 9 verse 27, we read there, "...as it is appointed unto men once to die." I would ask that as we think about all those things and the uncertainty of it, that we do devote the remainder of the lesson time to thinking then, what about this gentleman who, at least you've heard me say, lived too long? We need to revisit that character of Hezekiah in the Old Testament. It is to him that I would direct your attention for the next few moments as we try to sketch a few of the ideas about his life and to try to appreciate ourselves as to what he found important what it was that he focused upon, and what it was that the sacred scriptures have to say about him. After the kingdom was divided following the reign of Solomon, we well remember that there came to be a southern kingdom known as Judah and a northern kingdom that was called Israel. Among the kings of Judah, we find 20 of them listed in the sacred text, and of those 20, there were several that were good, and there were, of course, several that were recognized to be evil. Among those kings, one of them was named Ahaz. And you might notice I've chosen to list just a few thoughts about him first, for those thoughts will be somewhat vital to us in just a few moments. Ahaz was reckoned certainly as one of the most evil of those kings of Judah. There is very little positive said, if anything at all, about the thrust, the focus, the pursuit of his life. In fact, he opposed the God of heaven by encouraging idolatry and by encouraging life that was opposed and rebelled to what God had revealed. But this much certainly might be noted about Ahaz. As we read in 2 Kings 16 about the life of this man, we do discover that upon his death, his son Hezekiah ascended the throne of Judah. Hezekiah was the next king, and interestingly, and somewhat greatly to our joy, we find Hezekiah was described very differently than his dad. In fact, look at the next set of ideas concerning Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah, in fact, is described to us in rather powerful and lovely language. In fact, when he began his reign, he had a zeal for God that seemed to be unmatched. He labored seemingly incessantly on behalf of the God of heaven, much different than his father. Whereas Ahaz had been so wicked and had encouraged evil and idolatry amongst Judah, we find that Hezekiah, his son, just the opposite, encouraged righteousness, godliness, encouraged a type of life that God would find wholesome, sound, and pleasing. And isn't it interesting to look at just a few of the ways that we find that evidence for the life of Hezekiah. First of all, you'll note with me in 2 Chronicles 29.2, and I quote, It is there said of Hezekiah that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Furthermore, we notice almost immediately upon usurping the throne. Notice his father died, Ahaz, and in the very first month of the very first year in which Hezekiah began to reign, one of his first set of activities was to repair the temple. Obviously, the temple hadn't been very important to his father and the way in which he reigned, for God wasn't nearly as significant in the life of Ahaz. However, Hezekiah said about first order of business was to fix the temple, to repair it, to encourage it again to be the centerpiece of the relationship of God's people to himself. And thus, we find immediately that Hezekiah strove to encourage and to repair and to rebuild that temple. In 2 Chronicles 29 verses 4 and 5, we notice that he set about to eliminate the filth that had taken place in the tabernacle, in that temple, if you please, that had been constructed. And all the while, we are beginning to gain a very rich appreciation of the kind of man this Hezekiah wished to be. Look with me furthermore at some of the other things that Hezekiah did. In 2 Kings 18.4, we there specifically learn he sought to destroy idolatry from Israel. It's not that he sought to reduce it or to minimize it. Rather, his goal was to eliminate it, to destroy it. Notice again how different he was from the pursuit of his own father. It is perhaps the next verse to which I would turn your attention as well. In verses 5 and 6 of 2 Kings 18, listen to this description of Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. That's an amazing description in a way, isn't it? When you consider the place and the kind of family in which he was reared and the kind of family in which he was raised to now be described as one who trusted in the Lord and to be described as one who departed not from the commandments of Moses and that there was no king either before or after him for that period of his life that was like him. That's a rather amazing description, isn't it? And yet perhaps you might notice that as that screen concludes, you can see with me that we have in the next chapter some other descriptions of what this gentleman named Hezekiah did. He sought to proclaim a great Passover and to do so to bring Israel again back to appreciating the commandment that God gave them to celebrate the Passover annually and the significance that that celebration was to have in their lives. Hezekiah sought to reinstill in them an appreciation for those commandments of God. At this point, very little negative can you and I say about Hezekiah. 
And in fact, if you look at the final statement on that screen, all of these good things that Hezekiah brought to bear, and all of this influence that he brought to Israel took place in the first 14 years of, the, of his reign. When his father died and he took the throne for the first 14 years, what a powerful, amazing, and wonderful example he was of godly reigning and of godly living himself. It is at this point, let's ask what next happened in Hezekiah's life. You may have noted it in the reading that Brother John read for us this morning. For at this point, we notice that Hezekiah became sick. In fact, it seemingly was not just a bad cold, nor was it any other minor kind of illness. It says that it was a sickness unto death. And might we each appreciate very thoroughly that whatever this involved, it did involve a boil. For later in, in the uh, Second Kings chapter 20, we read that there was a lump of figs Isaiah was told to put on that boil and that it would lead to its healing. Beyond that, we know nothing else of what this sickness or illness was. It was, however, that which would lead to his death. When Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah, listen to the thundering character of these words. Hezekiah, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. His death was imminent. It was not going to be long in the current scenario. Despite the fact that his reign had been so noble, that it had been, in fact, directed toward that which was goodly, righteous, and godly. His sickness was now going to lead to his death. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Those words somewhat hauntingly expressed to us in Isaiah chapter, uh, the chapter before us today, 38, verse number 1. With that said, notice what happened next. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed. He prayed earnestly, in fact, making note that, God, I have attempted. I have, in fact, sought to do that which was right in thine eyes. I have, in fact, sought to bring about that which was good amongst thy people. I have been a defender of that which was thy truth. Can we not appreciate that in the, in the urgency of that prayer and in the earnestness that was set before it, we find a gentleman who, in fact, was desperate. Set thine house in order, thou shalt die and not live, was met with the fact he turned his face to the wall and prayed. Here we find another amazing thing. Isaiah had no sooner left, Isaiah had no sooner left Hezekiah's place, the palace, if you will, when in fact God came to Isaiah and said, You go back and you tell Hezekiah this. Notice how quickly that prayer was answered. No sooner had he left than God told Isaiah, You go back and you tell Hezekiah, Behold, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. God was well aware of what Hezekiah had prayed. He was well aware of the thoughts upon his heart and the urgency upon his mind and the desperateness of his case. I've heard thy prayers, I've seen thy tears. Isaiah, you tell Hezekiah the following things. First of all, I will heal thee. And in fact, on the third day thou shalt go up to the house of the Lord. Talk about a healing. In three days, Hezekiah, you'll be able to go back to the temple of God. You'll be able to again participate in the activities that take place there. In three days, this sickness that was to lead to your death will be entirely gone. 
Notice in the third place, I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. At that time, the great Assyrian army was virtually on the doorstep of Judah. God said, in addition to healing you, I'm going to in fact deliver you and your people out of the king of Assyria's hand. There was one final thing that God told Isaiah to tell Hezekiah. You might note the last thing. What's more, I'm going to add 15 years to your life, Hezekiah. 15 years. We find here one of the few instances in all of Scripture in which a man thus knew when he was going to die. It would be 15 years from the time that he was now sick. For remember, Isaiah had just told him, Set your house in order, you're going to die, Hezekiah, and you're not going to live. And God now told him, I'm going to give you 15 more years, Hezekiah. 15 more years. Might we proceed to ask rather amazingly, what did Hezekiah do with those 15 years? In what way did he in fact invest them? Did he live wisely? Appropriately? Did he live in such a fashion recognizing the responsibility and blessing that God had given him? Or did he proceed to rather foolishly, unwisely, and rebelliously waste a great deal of the time that God had given him? Let us let the Scriptures speak for themselves. We read in 2 Chronicles 32 verse 25 a rather telling statement about the later years of Hezekiah's life. I would invite your attention as we read that simple verse, just the one text, 2 Chronicles 32, verse 25. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up, therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Did you hear the thrust of that text with me? Again, it begins by saying, Hezekiah rendered not, again, according to the benefit done unto him. God had so beautifully blessed him in the ways that we've just listed. And among them was the fact, I'm giving you 15 additional years of time to spend upon this earth. And the text goes on to say, Hezekiah rendered not, according to the benefit done unto him. Here was a man, I would submit to you, that wasted a fair amount of the last 15 years of his life. Here was a man who knew when he was going to die, and yet that seemingly did not in urgency lead to a change in his behavior. It didn't lead to a change in his conduct. It did not lead to a change in mind with respect to doing that which once had been the thrust of his life. At one time he had done so much good for the Lord, aided to repair the temple, he had in fact sought to destroy idolatry. He had in fact sought to lead Israel back to a right relationship to God. And yet after his sickness, and in this gift of 15 additional years, it says he rendered not unto the Lord the benefit that God had expected and had delivered to him. You'll notice in verse 25 it gives us a statement or two about the nature of his errors. It says he lifted up his heart. It would seem that arrogance and pride became the downfall of Hezekiah. It would seem that he lifted himself up so much so that he would no longer submit to the commandments of the Lord and that he would no longer submit in humbleness to the nature of what God had commanded of him and of the nation of Israel. You'll notice at the end of verse 25, it's a rather sad reflection. For it says, "...there was wrath upon him." 
And there was wrath upon Judah and Jerusalem. He suffered and his people suffered because of his sin and because of what had come to be the case concerning him. Might I submit to you in light of all of that, Hezekiah lived a little bit too long. If he died when he was sick, could he have not died in the splendor of a man reckoned as righteous? In the character of a man who was then understood to be one who through the nature of his life there was none before him or none like him, after him that was like him. But sad to say, after that sickness, through that 15 additional years, nothing positive is said about Hezekiah. Here was a man who lived too long. In fact, one more thing might be asserted about that last 15 years of his life. Notice that three years into that 15 years, he fathered a son. And that son was named Manasseh. Manasseh, perhaps it goes without saying, was the most evil and the most wicked of all the kings that Judah ever endured. It would seem that Manasseh did not see a godliness in his father. He certainly seems not to have been instructed in the ways of righteousness. And yet when he came to the throne, he led Israel back to the ways of his granddad, to idolatry, to wickedness beyond description. And it would be primarily for some of his sins that ultimately Judah would go into captivity. A man who lived too long. I would ask that each of us reflect a little bit upon what we've learned from Hezekiah and apply three rather simple lessons to ourselves in the time we have remaining this morning. Consider with me these observations. The central key and the primary thrust concerning life is not about its length. The quantity is not what's the most important. It's the quality. It would be far better to live a short life and die righteous than to live a long life and die wicked. That thought is presented over and over again in the pages of the Word of God. The Son of God only lived 33 years on this earth, and yet He died in perfection, and of course is the Savior of all of us. However, there are those old, old men like Methuselah, lived 969 years, and yet it would certainly appear that given the fact he died in the flood, he had to have been a wicked man. Can we not see then that what is important about life is its quality? What are we doing for the cause of the Lord? Just to say that we live doesn't make us in a position to die in a way to garner the blessings of heaven. Notice some of these passages that we can well appreciate. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. To quote verse 13 of Revelation 14. On that occasion we see this thought of reminding us about that opening observation. We all enjoy the thought of living to see our children, grandchildren, the way in which things may change about us and the opportunity to influence for good. But notice, all those things are positive. As long as we live with those thoughts on our mind and those intents in our heart, then that life can be used as a great blessing for the cause of God. But if we, like Hezekiah, though once live proudly for the cause of the Master, but then turn from Him, it would have been far better for us to have died when we were faithful. 
you see, it's a challenge then to learn that valiant lesson from Hezekiah. It certainly appeared that this was a man who lived too long. But notice yet a second thought that can also be appreciated. This one, great to the positive, is this. Isn't it amazing to see the way in which Hezekiah rose above the sinfulness of his forebears and came to be the one who led in a positive way through the first 14 years of his reign? That helps to teach all of us that you and I too need not be shackled to the errors of a former generation. Despite what our parents may have done or did not do, or despite what grandparents may or may not have done, we have the opportunity to stand four square on the truth of God and submit honorably and submissively to it. Look at what Hezekiah did. Though his dad was an idolater and in fact encouraged it in Judah, first thing he did upon coming king was start trying to tear down all that daddy had ever done to bring it back to what God would have it to be. We must at least compliment Hezekiah for that. The understanding that what dad did was wrong and what I need to do is to correct and repair those errors. Today, you and I can certainly appreciate the fact that you and I can rise above what has taken place before. You and I can be those very ones blessed by God to change our generation, to do so in a fashion to lead our children, our grandchildren, the pathway of right. Whereas before, maybe, those previous to us were led in the ways of wrong. That's a lovely thought to contemplate, isn't it? We each have that opportunity to stand in that way before God. Listen to some of these passages that challenge us in that regard. In Micah 6 verse 8, to revisit that minor prophet of the Old Testament, What doth the Lord require of thee, O man, but to do justly, and to walk humbly with thy God, and to love mercy? Notice that he used that singular word, O man. He didn't relate it to what did your dad do. What have your parents done or not done? What doth he require of thee, O man, to love mercy, to do justly, and to walk humbly with thy God? I might submit to each of us today that that still is the matter sitting before us. Though we can certainly be thankful for the influence of parents before us who were godly and who strove to discipline us and to lead us in the pathway of right, we still must understand that even if there was error in their life, and even if they failed in many regards, we still have the opportunity to try to right that ship by the usage of the Word of God, implanting it in our heart and living it diligently and loyally. That second lesson perhaps takes us also to notice in Ezekiel 18.20, where that rather clear statement was made by the prophet to his people of that day. There he said, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. But the righteousness of the righteous is upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked is upon him. Singular pronouns in both instances. As we each then think about the obligation, the responsibility that's ours, might I ask that we come to the closing observation on that slide. The very last point. We've seen that Hezekiah was a man who lived too long. 
Let's apply that now to ourselves. What about Randy Bybee? You put your name in that same sentence as well. How am I doing? How are you doing? You see, Hezekiah, in one sense, had a blessing that none of us have. He knew when he was going to die. Fifteen years from the time that sickness came upon him, his life would end. He knew when it would be. There's not a person in this audience that knows when we will die. It may be this afternoon. It may be 50 years from now. Not a one of us know, but nonetheless, listen to the strength of those words told to Hezekiah. Set your house in order, for you're going to die and not leave. May we each then consider this interesting lesson. Because we don't know the day and time of our death, that same sentence in generality must apply to us. Randy, keep your house in order, for you don't know when you're going to die. And that same lesson goes for all of us. We must all then strive to make sure our house is always in order, so that when the time of our demise comes, the time of our death does overtake us, or the second coming of Christ is then upon us. We will be able to thus leave the scenes of this earthly existence ready to meet the Lord in judgment. And thus, what am I doing with the time that God has given me? What are you doing with the time that God has given you? We are admonished more than once in the Scriptures to use that time wisely. Redeeming the time for the days are evil, Paul wrote the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.16. Redeeming the time means to in fact so live that that time can be exchanged or is seen as that which is valuable. It's purchased back as being something of high price and value. Are you using your time that way? Or are we too guilty of frivolously wasting the time that God has given us, investing in things of little profit and little benefit, redeeming the time, Paul wrote, for the days are evil. He would, in fact, encourage the Colossians in a similar fashion. As we ponder redeeming the time, let's again think about Hezekiah, a man who for 14 years did such good and then proceeded for 15 more years in some ways to undo a lot of the good that he had done. Did you note with me one of the things that was stated to and about him? When he prayed on the occasion of that sickness, God said, I will deliver you out of the hand of the king of Assyria. But then, after he had lifted his heart up, and after he had lived in such an unwise way, we then read that the wrath came upon him and upon Jerusalem and upon Judah. He had been delivered once. He received wrath the second time. This man lived too long. It had been better for him if he had died when he was sick the first time. Would you and I then live that foolishly? Or would, be, we, we, would we be wise enough to see that what life is all about is living it in faithful obedience to God, redeeming the time that we're given. For as we noted at the outset of the lesson, even at its best, that time is short. Even at its best, that time is brief. Can we not then understand the urgency, the desperateness of making sure that we set and keep our house in order? Near the bottom of that screen, we notice those two final thoughts that help us appreciate that the day of the Lord will be as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2. In addition to the time of our death being uncertain, we don't know the time of the Lord's coming either. 
didn't, wasn't it said in Mark 13, 32, that of that day and that hour knoweth no man, neither the angels in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father only. With those thoughts in mind today, might we each be challenged in this regard? Let us think very honestly. How are you using and how am I using the time we have? As we noted in that opening lesson, it would be far better to live a shorter life of faithfulness than a longer life that ends in unfaithfulness. May we in wisdom strive to become a Christian and to live faithfully thereafter to the cause of the Lord. To become a Christian, we must do this. You need to hear the word of the Lord. We are told, in fact, in Romans 13, or rather Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, about the importance of hearing the Word of God. But upon hearing it, one must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. As we are reminded of the necessity of that belief, we are thus told we must repent of the sins in our life. Those things that have cumbered our way, have distanced us from God, have caused us to live in rebellion to Him. You then need to confess the name of Jesus as the only begotten Son of God, just as that eunuch did in the 8th chapter of Acts. And then you must be baptized. For in fact, we learn that baptism doth also now save us. 1 Peter 3.21 Once those things are done, you then are prepared to, in fact, like Hezekiah began, to live powerfully by the side of God. To, in fact, strive to do His bidding, to lead others to Him, to encourage your brethren in all ways possible. However, continue to do that throughout life. Let us not be like Hezekiah in the sense that we live too long and become unfaithful. If you have become unfaithful, don't let that state of affairs continue. We are told in the New Testament, Christ invites you to come to Him. He wants you and pleads with you to come back to your first love. Revelation 2 verse 5. And today, we'd be happy to pray with you. We, in fact, would be honored to pray for you because we understand the power of prayer and that God will forgive as He has promised. Today, as we think about where we each stand then in light of this lesson, set your house in order. Is your house in order today? What about you personally? You must start with yourself. Are you personally in order before God? If you are, praise be unto God for that decision you've made to this point in life and continue that way. If though your house is not now in order, you don't need to wait for another moment. As we stand in just a moment and sing this hymn of encouragement, come forward and let us be of help to you to, in fact, make sure your house becomes in order. And when I say let us help, the primary one doing the work is Christ. As you rely upon Him and upon His Word, if we could be of assistance to you then in either of these ways, won't you let that be known while together we stand and while we sing?